Hey, metalworking nation. Day four. It is day four, day right? Day four. It really is. IMTS. Yeah. Chicago, we are here. Yes. Record crowd. It's been awesome. Yes. It's been absolutely awesome. And I'm so glad to see the excitement in the air. Manufacturing is alive and well. We're in a manufacturing yes. renaissance. Things are humping. An energy out the there. The energy is just and, and unbelievable. Speaking of, speaking of energy, I know you're all hopped up on caffeine, Jim. I did. I had I a couple you, when coffee I saw you cubes. this morning, you look re you had just a tiredness in your face. Well, and I felt bad for you actually. Well, I am a little tired because you know manufacturing is challenging. Yes, it is. It is. Manufacturing is challenging. Yes. My routine every night is I go to sleep, and man, sometime between two and three a.m. I wake up and all those challenges of owning and operating a manufacturing yeah. company, production, sales, marketing, business succession, all those things are constantly eating at me. Well, I think you need some help. I think you need some smart people to help you through some of those challenges. I would welcome some smart people to give me some tips and some tactics well, to I help we, mitigate we those problems. We have them today. We have four panelists there. How many? Four. Four. Okay, good. Four panelists. They're leaders at their respective companies, and they're going to help us through four topics. Four panelists. Four panelists, four, four topics. Tops. Got it. And they're going to help you sleep at night. Good. So you don't need to take you any sleeping pills or, or anything. You have that just because I'm it's, a little no, older? No. Well, it could be because you're a little older. Could be. <laughs> you start sleeping less at, you know, when you get older. So, But I, I understand. Yeah. I understand. I know you have the same challenge. So you want to bring them up? Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. Let's bring them up. So our first guest is Barry Walter, and Barry E. Walter Senior Company is based out of Colorado. They're a U.S. manufacturer of brass plumbing parts. And Barry's primary role is addressing the company culture through its mission, vision, and values and training leaders at his company. He's also worked extensively in introducing students in middle school and high school to manufacturing careers. And Barry believes that industry leaders must be willing to be part of the solution, and Barry and I have talked about this a lot, in helping develop talent. So welcome, Barry. Thanks, Jim. Welcome Thanks. to Making Chip Stage. Our second panelist is the president, CEO, and co-owner of Advanced Machine and Engineering Company and Henning, Inc. AME specializes in machine tool design, work holding systems, and metal cutting solutions. Hennig is a global manufacturer of machine protection components and conveyor systems, and he knows a thing or two about making chips. Please welcome to the Making Chips main stage, Dietmar Goldner. All right. Woo! <laughs> okay, our third guest is the founder and president of Fusion OEM, a contract manufacturer of capital equipment. Fusion has been awarded six years in a row, the 101 best and brightest places to work in Chicago. He also enjoys volunteering his time by serving as the chairperson of IMEC, the Illinois Manufacturing Excellence Center, and the Industrial Advisory Board at Marquette University. He's also a past guest on Making Chips twice. And, and we he's love a good his friend insight. of ours. And he's a good friend of ours, Craig Zobaris. And last, but certainly not least, our next guest is a recognized leader in the successful efforts to strengthen the manufacturing industry in Northern Illinois. She is often asked to speak about women in manufacturing, which we're big advocates we of. about it a lot. Public-private collaboration, workforce attraction, entrepreneurship, and related fields. Print articles have focused on Teresa's achievements and opinions about workforce and women's ability to bridge the manufacturing workforce gap. 
please help us welcome to the Making Ships main stage, President of Superior Joining Technologies, Teresa Beach Shilo. All right. Just before we went on, Jason and I were talking about not being able to sleep. Last <laughs> night was certainly one of those nights. Yeah, no joke. He really did look tired. And he really <laughs> has had a lot of coffee. But one of the things that I wake up at three in the morning, for instance, last night was the first question I'm going to throw at you panelists. Succession planning. Third generation is in my machine shop right now. I'm second generation. It took my dad and I years to figure out how that was going to switch ownership. And now I've got this on my head at night. So when I wake up and I start thinking, what do I got to do next? I got to call that attorney. I gotta, I've got to start planning for the succession of my business now. So I'm going to throw it out if anyone wants to offer any help to me to help me sleep better and help me mitigate that succession planning issue. Yeah. Barry, you look, you're shaking your head yes. Well, yeah, Go ahead. I, I'm third generation. You are third generation. I'm third generation, and I've got three younger brothers that are all in the business. And all four of us said we were never going to work for our father, right? <laughs> and here we are all and in here the you business. are. <laughs> yeah. My, what a coincidence. It's, it's kind of crazy. I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, behind closed doors, you got to be willing to duke it out, but then be unified when you come out of it. My parents have set up everything in a trust, so the business itself is being passed through a trust to us four boys. No sisters, so it's just us. And it's weird how we've all assumed our roles. It's just the way it's worked. It wasn't somebody saying, oh, this is your role, this is your, your natural role. natural abilities came natural out. Natural abilities came out of, this is what you do. We had a conversation the other day about having to have a unpleasant conversation with a team member, and that's one of my roles. And all my brothers are like, man, I'm glad I don't have to do that job. <laughs> nice. Dietmar, how about you? I know you've got family in the right. business. Three sons are in the business right now. And what's the strategy and the vision for that? Well, we're three generations also. Okay. I, I'm the second gen, the oldest of the second generation. Okay. Our business started in 1966 with my father, who had immigrated over from Germany. So we have a similar story in that I have two brothers and a sister in the business and each one has their own role to play. And so there's really not this competitive environment. Everybody knows what they need to do. And then I have three sons. I've got a nephew and another nephew that will be joining the business. And there it's a similar scenario. Each one has their giftings and their areas that they would excel in. And I would say the key is do what you're good at. What's your passion? What's the vision that you have? and then be able to move forward with that. And that's been successful for us. Yeah, every once in a while we'll mix it up, but you know, conflict's a good thing. If it can, if it can, if it can result in a better solution moving forward. Is, yeah. is that your role to make sure that all of the kids and the nephews stay in their lanes and make sure yeah. that they're not? Yeah, I mean, that's a role I need to play, but I don't really have to work that hard at doing oh, that good. because it's just a natural progression okay. right now. And it's actually a lot of fun to see the kids get into business because none of them were drafted by me. It wasn't a coronation, you know, oh, it's not wasn't? a birthright. No, okay. Okay. they realized they probably couldn't make any money what they were doing before. And they said, you know, I got to try something different. And then they say, yeah. hey, dad, you know, I think I might want to join you. And the same with my nephews. And they just waltzed into the business and they each are finding a spot. And it's awesome. Great, that's, great. Some of that's culture. I mean, that's, yeah. you guys talk about culture all the yeah. time on the show. And that's having that culture in the business allows for 
everybody to play correctly. Yeah, absolutely. Teresa, care to share any Well, I'm first plan? generation, you know, I know and you I are. sleep with my partner. We started in our garage. <laughs> I've heard you say that before, and, oh, and, it, and it's it. always I'm funny. I'm so lucky. <laughs> but don't forget to go all the way down. Like you said, call the lawyer. Make sure you have your wills. Make sure you have your trust. Make sure you've made those decisions in case there's the accidental change. That's what often we don't plan for, especially if a woman is in the business with her husband. Many women have ended up owning the business 100% and they didn't have all of those steps. Maybe they didn't get trained. Maybe they weren't interested. So if you're a first generation company with a small employee base, you really need to think about some of those just very basic things. When do you start talking about that? Immediately. If you're making payroll, my girls know that if Tom and I get hit in the Corvette or something, they have to make payroll on Friday, and that's more important than anything else. They've met all of our partners, whether it's our banking partners or whatever. They're not in the business per se, but we try to keep them informed because they're going to be affected, and the people that we love and work with every day are going to be affected. So it's very important. Greg, how about you? You you're first. Run a, a young you're the founder, so you're yeah. The founder. Yeah. yeah, I'm a founder. I'm and your your children are young, so yeah, you're not going to pass that bring, along bring to them a, tomorrow. Bring up an excellent point. That, yeah. that kind of is the basis of how everything is set. My my children are young. They're in grade school or junior high. Yep. My biggest fear is if something happens to me. Although I think I'm insured so well that I'm better, you know, off. Well, of my family's better off dead. Yeah. If I'm dead, I've been alive. <laughs> but long story short, is I'd love to see the company go in perpetuity, right? And one of the things is my dream, my passion for the business, most importantly, is how it can work without me. And so I try to put so many people and processes in place as quickly as possible so that whatever I'm doing in the organization, I'm replaced. I judge how well we're doing is how good our bench is. So like if I go on a long vacation or if something disabled me from the organization, who's there to take my place? Who can do that really well? And then other people within the organization, how deep is their bench? And I think that's a way of measuring success in the organization. Bottom line is how the entrepreneur or the primary shareholder in the organization is not held accountable for every part of that business. When they're outside the business, that business operates as well or even better. That's great. I mean, the old notion used to be the business can't run without the leader. That was like their idea of success. But the new notion, and we've talked about this before, is how do you lead the company so you don't have to make every decision? And right. if you leave for a month, not that you would do that, but that the business is fine. Jim and I have been at IMTS every single day and still making parts, still shipping tools. I mean, we're still doing all that kind of stuff. Worried about what's so, being run yep. right now in the machines and if we're going to make that delivery and payroll and everything else. So yeah, I know. They're real problems. You can't, yeah. you can't work on the business if all you're doing is working in the business. I agree. I agree Absolutely. with you. But when do we start this? So my son's 26. Teresa, you said start it now. What's a good timeline for moving the business over? So what is the appropriate amount of time that I have to allocate to get this whole thing done? Or is it different for everybody? There he's shaking it's his head. It's different for everybody. It is. I, I, I don't see how you Minimum. I don't know. I've been doing this for 24 years now. And it was, even when I came in, I came in running Acme Gridley's. I was on the you know, machine shop floor and it was just me taking little bits and pieces of it. My dad couldn't keep up with it and I just kept taking more and more. How long did your whole entire plan take? Maybe that's a better I question. I don't think it was a plan. I mean, I, I'm sure my dad looked at it and said, oh, he's coming into the business, he'll be able to take over. But I don't know at what point did he say, two years ago I went in and said, you're done. 
you're out. Oh, so, okay. I mean, that's really what happened. And I went to my brothers first. I said, I can't do this anymore. Either, <laughs> either we take over because his way of doing things was the old way. And right he on. knew that, but that's how, that's what he knew. He loves coming in now because the culture has changed. The leadership yes. has, has right. progressed and it's about leadership, teamwork. All of us are smarter than one of us. How do you teach that? It's a process. There's a certain degree of that succession planning comes more to fruition as you become more responsible and you can prove the fact that you can do that. I've got my my 21-year-old son just started working for the company. He's you know, in the shipping department yeah. learning parts. He's going to eventually go into sales, but yeah. you've got to start him out like everybody oh, else. Absolutely. And you know that with Ryan, right? Absolutely. Yeah, let me comment on that too, because we just finished up our legal work. With oh, okay. Good. Plan. Oh, great. Good. Yeah. So what we did was we said that you can be a Goldner or a Mertz, and that can get you an opportunity in the company, but it won't keep you that opportunity because mm -hmm. we wanted it to be merit-based, not just because of your last name. Yep. So what we did, we decided that at age 26, if you declare that you want to work in the company... Oh, you put an age limit. So yeah, it's we, 26. Yeah, so we put from an age limit at 26, and if you were a manager, at that point, you could then get voting stock. So we have different shares of stock, different Very classes of stock. So yeah. at 26, if you were a manager, that is the minimal threshold to, to have voting shares. Now that's after, that's into the third generation. Mm -hmm. Right now we have it set up a little bit differently, but we're already trying to think 20, 30, 40 years in advance. That's good. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And I think exposure, as your kids are young, don't keep them away from the business they don't have to come and work and do the dirty jobs mm -hmm. or whatever, but exposure, exposure to things like this, exposure to your colleagues in the business, exposure to it being a positive. Don't always bring the negative of work home. I think it's yeah, important there's to There's a talk. lot of that sometimes. There's yeah. a, it's important to talk in a yeah. positive manner right, about yeah. what you're doing and the impact that you're having in the community or in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. So the next thing that we want to talk about, and Barry, as you alluded to in the very beginning, is we talk about culture a lot in the company. It's a path that I started going down many years ago. Jim and I have talked about it so many different times on the show. You and I have talked about it, Craig. We've talked about it. I think it's vitally important to the company. I never got into that conversation because I wanted to say this is going to help produce more income for the company, but I started going down that path because I wanted to just cast that vision for the company. I wanted to hire the right people and I felt that really being deliberate about our culture instead of letting culture happen was really important to making that happen. But as it relates to culture, I don't want to ask this question to you first, Barry. Do you really feel that that actually produces profitability for your company and, and why do you think that is? I, I think it does long-term help profitability, but culture is everything that we do in our, in our business. And if you're not intentional, Right? If you're not on purpose on paper, then how do you negotiate all the decisions? How do you make the right decisions? How do you course correct? Was that always the case though? No, oh, we always had good culture. We always had good culture because my dad treated people correctly, right? right. He, he treated people the right way. But it was different years but it ago. Was, it but was, it was, it but it was, you still the, you know, my grandfather, it was, you do what I say because I give you a paycheck. And that was well, the culture. I've, I've, was, got, I've got two millennials that, that work for us. We've got 13 millennials out of 30 of our, of our team members, 13 of them are millennials, and they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And so you have to define the why. Why do we do what we do? Why is manufacturing important? Why is the culture, why does it matter? And so all of that comes back to being able to retain team members, being able to retain your employees. That's part of your culture. That's part of creating leaders, right? 
yeah. so that you can replace yourself, like Craig was talking about, being able to have those guys on the bench that when I'm not there, yeah. it's taken care of. I don't have to get the phone calls all the time. Craig, I know you're a big ambassador for culture. You've right. been on our show before. You win awards. You win awards. <laughs> no, you, you've done a really good job about pulling that in and, and changing the way we think about running a manufacturing company, and you've had great success with that. Why don't you share with us and the metalworking community about what you're doing with regards to culture in your company? I can't claim that these are ideas that I came up with. So right, these are ideas right, right. we stole from other companies. So I'm a big believer in R&D, which is rip off and duplicate. So we make, <laughs> Rip off so, and duplicate. Yeah. So, okay, so I know we use R&D differently here. Yep, so yep. what we look at this is, is the models changed, right? And this is something that I stole from somebody else. It's an inverted hierarchy of how you handle it. So what I'm trying to say here is, we're serving our employees. We want to serve our employees really well and have certain expectations that they need from an organization, if it's from pay, the basics, right? The Maslow hierarchy of needs, right? All those pieces are in place, but what else are you gonna to do to keep yourself separated from the competition taking your people, right? So we're saying, hey, how do we serve them best? And everybody's different. Everybody has different requirements. People like more pay, some people like more time off. You gotta balance all those things, right? So we're trying to make a culture that actually is focused on the employee. So what we're saying is the next effect, which is something we stole from Southwest Airlines, is look, if we take good care of our people, they'll take good care of our customers. And we're in a service business, we're a job shop, it's very hands-on. And the interaction is very important to us. And as we know, flying Southwest is a better experience than flying other airlines, right? We, most of us can say that. But long story short is, if we serve our employees well, they'll serve our customers well. And if we keep that mindset in place, we will show success all the time. Do you think that there's really been a direct relationship to the success you've had as a company and you being deliberate about forming that culture? You know, I don't have metrics, Jason, yeah. so it's, it's Oh, you don't have metrics say. on that? Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, we should have more. I, yeah. like people ask, what's your turnover rate here and there and everything? And, and well, how, how do you measure culture? Yeah, it's, it's hard, pretty it tough, is. right? Yeah. It is tough. So, yeah. you know, we, so it's, like it's like measuring like, marketing. We've talked about that it's, before. It's hard yeah. to measure marketing. <laughs> that, that's one of the next questions. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, okay, you could go take to the, the simple ones. is like turnover, right? So right. look at your turnover rate. Do you have people staying with you longer? So we've been only in business 17 years, so we don't have people have been decades with us, right? We have right. years. So we've we got people that are leaning into 14, 15 years with the company, which is, that's a measure of success, right? Yeah. Yes, and so is. you know there's a cost in rehiring and retraining and recalibrating them for your culture. So in, investing in your people is even more important. And I have a mentor, he, he looked at me and he owned a printing company. And he said, wow, Craig, he says, I, I, it's easy for me to do an ROI on paying a lot of money for a machine that can do some printing or like the machine tools that are sure. here, but not investing in your people is what he didn't do. And he says, if he had a chance to do it over again, and he's maybe, maybe 10, 15 years my senior, but he said, you're doing the right thing. You're, you're paying your people above the market wages. You're trying to stay ahead of that. You're trying to serve them. It's not always just the equipment, it's really the people. And in the job shop world, it's equally important. You have to have the equipment, you have to have the people, and of course, the processes. Right. What would you say to that person that their culture just is, as, as Barry mentioned before, and they really want to be deliberate about it? Where, where would you advise them to start? And this, I'm talking to you, Craig, but I'm also talking to everybody else here. I, I'm at a total disadvantage because since I'm the entrepreneur, the leader of the company, I had a vision for what it should be. Before right? you even started. Exactly. Okay. And actually, I worked many years for my father's company. I didn't 
agree with everything that was going on there. Right. I learned everything from my father's company by learning what was good things and bad things. And I took the good things and I brought them with me. And I learned from other people that have great, powerful cultures and I brought it together. When I see companies that have cultures that are not great cultures, I don't have an answer for it. It's tough. You know, yeah. it's a tough thing. And it, it's it's easier for me because I work from a blank sheet of paper. Okay. So I don't know if I could suggest okay. what the best way of handling it. Did that. it take time, though, to shed those bad habits that you were raised on? I know for yeah. me, it was, oh, yeah. you know, many, many yeah. years I grew up in a company that didn't have culture. In today's standards, is totally different. But it, it, how long did it take to shed all of that, those hmm. bad habits? You know, that's a great question. I, I didn't think of it until just now is probably when we started asking for those awards. Like we were applying for the best places to work. Last year we got small giants, you know, right. where Forbes magazine looks at you and say, these are the companies that chose to be great rather than to be big and large. They just wanted to have right. a great culture and really be something of difference to their employees. So to answer your question, you know, it's probably the last five to seven years, I would say that. So maybe my first decade of being in business, I made every mistake in the book. I, I could write have. a book on all we the all mistakes. Have. I think we, we all can say that. <laughs> yeah. And so you learn from those mistakes and then you have people that mentor you that just tell you a little bit about their mistakes. And I think that's how you grow. How about, how about you, Dima? I, I, my understanding is that you guys just started defining maybe some of your core values. We, we have, and I'll, I'll just say that culture is vitally important. As a matter of fact, I believe so strongly on this, that if your culture is bad, I don't know how you can survive as a business long term. Right. And the reason I think that's so critical is because your energy has to go in the marketplace. It's changing, it's so dynamic, it's so fluid. And if there's too much infighting, it just slows you down and the competition will leapfrog you. Mm -hmm. And yep, so that's the constant question we have to ask. How are we serving our customers? Are we hearing the voice of the customer? Yeah. Are we providing what they truly dearly need to do their business. And it can't be done if you take your eye off the ball. No, and that's a great insight that there's it, things are moving so quickly that we don't have time for that infighting. Right. We don't have that time to bring somebody on that's just not a good fit. We can't mess around with that anymore because the pace is just so rapid right now. You have to get the right person on the team or else you're just you're just spinning your wheels. That cool. hiring process. Yeah, the hiring, the hiring process, process yeah. is huge. Right. Yeah. yeah, and that's a big part of the part of the culture too. So. But the yeah. way you can to find that more succinctly is what are your core values? Yeah. And we've been working on our core values. We just put them on our website. Okay. Now, are we God-centered in what yeah. we do? Yeah. Uh, is there mutual trust and respect that yeah. we have for one another? Are we a learning institution? Are we focused on continuous improvement? Those are some of our key core values and it ought to define us. And every decision we make in the present and the future, we have to ask ourselves the question, are we reconciled to these core values? If yeah. not, we need to take pause reboot, recalibrate, and then move forward. Right, or as Barry said, if we're hiring that next person, do they fit those? You have any thoughts, Teresa, on this? Well, I think that core values pour out the front door. And so oh, I'm, that. I'm in good. aerospace, and when they're coming, you know, it's a really tight market for vendors right now, and when they drive in the driveway, they start to be able to see what we have for our employees. And I think that as they come through the shop and talk to our employees, see how excited they are about what they do, but then just the environment that they're in, that that really shows a lot and breeds confidence for new customers. Right, that's a great insight. So you guys, we're here at IMTS. It's all about the newest of technologies. And the show started, I don't know, 60 years ago plus, showcasing machine tools. But 
as you can see and look around and walk the floor, it's, it's way more than just machine tools nowadays. What does technology mean to your respective companies and what technology is on top of mind for your future? Technology has been how we've grown. I mean, because, you know, we are mainly joining or welding. Well, gosh, everybody has a welder. So how do we distinguish ourselves? So technology has been the way. And the new thing that we're looking at is the additive. How can we do the joining process plus add the additive with it and propel ourselves into the future and keep ourselves current? And that is really a big part of what we're looking at while we're here today. Is that still a bit of an unknown, how you adopt that into into what you do? Well, I believe that right now we're turning down opportunities every couple weeks for doing that. And so we're just trying to figure out what, it's so new and different companies are looking at it from different perspectives. Because I'm not talking about growing metal parts. I'm talking about, you know, adding and and having it in the joining process that we're doing. So we've been working with different labs outside of the U.S. and here and watching how these new technologies being involved. But we're part of the solution, I guess, and not just sitting back and waiting. Well, how's it going to turn out? We have people that are involved in the solution. So you're being proactive and thinking about where your customers are driving you to look at new technologies. And then keep in mind that with with aerospace, you have to have certifications. Yes. You have to be certified. And so how are the things that we're doing relevant and credible? And then how can we achieve maybe the first accreditation for some of the new things that we're doing? Craig's shaking his head. Did you buy? How many machines did you buy? (laughs) Way too many just now. <laughs> but it's an exciting time, right? It is. I mean, it's, 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 it's exciting because the computing technology is exponential, right? It's Moore's Law, it's best, right? The software is equaling that. The data is there, it's great. The machine tools are becoming more and more affordable, right? Oh, yeah, so right, absolutely. It's to do more with less money. But I think there's something really interesting going on in the market that I think there's maybe one company that's developing something on this, this is Plethora. I don't know if you heard of it, but it's a, a company that's actually working with this data, but not necessarily on the data that drives our processes, but actually on the front end with the experiences for our customers and how you can quote quickly. I'm sorry, I didn't hear the name of this. Plethora? Oh, Plethora. Okay, yeah. and they're based in California, and we I, they're at the Top Shops seminar here, and I thought it was quite interesting because they're going to take that data and they're going to apply it to the front end. What does our customers feel? Because there's so much complexity on how long it takes for us to quote a part in that quoting is like, how long does it take to set up a job? How long it takes to run the job? The other post-processes, maybe it's post-processes we don't have that information about. And then we have to get back to our customer with all these estimates on top of estimates on top of estimates and still make a profit and be competitive. And so they're working on this data that's on the front end to help you solicit this to your customer. And so they're trying to kind of do two things here and to steal their ideas. It was like, they're trying to say, hey, we're in a Amazon Prime environment where people want quotes quickly. Right. They want their parts quickly. So with their idea here, and they're, they're kind of cheeky about it and saying, hey, I want my parts as fast as I can get a custom Domino's pizza. And so can we do that? You know what I mean? So, I mean, maybe that's their big, hairy, audacious goal. Yeah. But the idea is there, and the data is there, it's just nobody's applying it. And I think that's gonna be revolutionary to our business going forward. It's not just the process, it's the front end. It sounds like something you could use. 
you don't have to spend so much time coding, right? Exactly. How about you two on the technology yeah. side of things? Technology. Yeah, here's what I think is important. You, you keep hearing about Industry 4.0, yeah. Internet yeah. of Things. If you're going to be a follower or a lagger, you're just going to end up being roadkill. So yeah. the key is to anticipate what that marketplace requires. And to do that, you have to be a pioneer. And the customers, their attitude is, don't make me think. I want to buy this piece of equipment. I want to buy this component from you. I, I want it on time. I want it to work the first time because I want you to help me make my business successful. So those type of thinkings are critical. And then also, we're really strong in lean manufacturing, QRM, quick response manufacturing. How can we get our lead times down quicker and quicker? How can we respond? You hear the saying, if, if I wanted it tomorrow, I would ask for it tomorrow, but I do need it tomorrow. And five weeks from now is not good enough. So how responsive are you in the marketplace? And we need technology to do that. Are you using digital technology to help you with that quicker and quicker response? We are. We use it in marketing. We've gone more and more digital in an effort to hear the voice of the customer so we can respond quickly. Our websites are responsive. They're mobile. We're trying to get quotes out in 24 hours. And if you can do that successfully, many many of our customers said, here's your purchase order. I know yeah. your price is fair, but I just need it. Yeah. Right. Everybody's yes. running lean. They don't want to live on inventory. And right. you should be awarded with a little more profitability because sure. you're able to do that. Sure. And market share. Right. How about you, Barry? Yeah, you know, we're pretty unique in what we do. We're, we're made, you know, such a niche manufacturing, just plumbing parts. It's all made to stock. So, you know, MRP, ERP system, we've had that for the last, you know, 10, 15 years. Now we're starting to put tablets on every machine so they can upload, download programs, prints. I want to be paperless within the next two years. But because our market is the plumbing part wears out, right? And then somebody needs a replacement for it. So it's 15 years, 10, 15 years, and then we're called upon to make, make that part. So it's a different market, but the technology we're always looking at is how do we become more lean with our with our manufacturing processes. I know in my business, we sell tools that's become highly commoditized, and I know I hear a lot of manufacturers talking about how their business is becoming very commoditized as well. And because of that, the whole sales and marketing space has changed a lot. It used to be that rogue salesman that went out there and they get the order and they own that customer relationship, and, and it's all about them having control. And I know the whole sales process has changed a lot. Marketing has become more prevalent. People don't necessarily want to talk to somebody all the time, especially the young millennials. I know I've had conversations with your son, and I asked him, I said, Ryan, if you never had to call me again to place an order, would that be great? He said, that'd be awesome. That would be awesome. <laughs> I, don't I don't want to talk to you. Yeah, he doesn't. <laughs> so, you know, the whole notion of salesmen have, have changed, and marketing has changed. So have you all made changes in your sales and marketing in order to accommodate this new era of where we're at? Big time. Okay, go ahead, we, Barry. We, we never had salesmen. We ever, we never, we have never, 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 ever, ever, never did. Okay. Okay. And then we did about seven years ago. We finally hired a, a sales rep. We have two sales reps now. We're the only ones that do what we do in the U.S. Right. So you come to us if you need a replacement plumbing part, or you buy it from overseas. But it's changed now. Amazon and the internet. Right. Everybody can has that information at their fingertips. So it's it's created a completely different dynamic. We never sold at the plumbing supply house level. We still don't sell to plumbers, we don't sell to the end user, but we used to sell to just repackagers, just the wholesaler, the plumbing wholesaler. And, and now we're selling to the plumbing supply houses and the, the, 
dynamic has changed a lot. We have a Facebook page, uh, Instagram, you know, all the Twitter, all that kind of stuff to be able to be a part of that atmosphere and, and how we market and email campaigns and CRMs and I know. It's, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. Right? It's, yeah. uh, Those are the one of things at that, night. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's why we're here to <laughs> mitigate that. Four in the morning this <laughs> yeah. morning. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. How about, how about you, Dimar? I know you, your company has grown and you've actually have less salespeople now, right? Yeah. I, let's go back to marketing because five years yeah. ago I was challenged that we really don't have marketing. I said, no, no, we have marketing. <laughs> and the truth was we really didn't have any marketing. And then I got one of my sons in the business who just lives and breathes marketing. And all of a sudden, we started focusing on our, on our website, and we got into analytics, and we start chasing metrics like your Alexa rating, you know, where do you show up? And we're typically now on the first page. If you're not on the first page, you're like on the last page. So we so get you have, you have a specific page. example of that? Oh, sure. One of our companies, Advanced Machine Engineering, our Alexa rating was, let's say, 1.4 million. Sure. That's, it goes from zero to 30 million, with Google being number one. You got Facebook, Amazon up there in the top 10. So we were like, Okay, 1.4 million, which is a lot better than 30 million, but it's nowhere near one, right? Right, exactly. So we started working on content marketing. And we have an entire team that focuses on content where you're setting yourself as a thought leader in the industry. And you're getting more buzz. You're getting more feedback. Uh, we're setting up academies where you can get information back and forth in an unbiased manner because nobody wants to feel like they're being solicited. So our Lexa rating, for instance, went from 1.4 million to 800,000 to 600,000 to 500,000. Now into, I think we're at 400,000. In the U.S., we're in the 50,000 range. So that's just one small aspect of marketing that is critical to propel your business forward. And that's helped, that's turned into sales. Yeah, we have three plant expansions. We just created, we just invested in state-of-the-art lasers and horizontal machining centers. And we have so many opportunities, I have no clue how we're gonna meet customer <laughs> demand right now. I have Becomes no clue. another problem. That's great. Uh, Good for you. <laughs> so. Good how, about, how about you, Teresa? How has the sales and marketing environment changed for your company? It's been kind of fun because we started in our garage, so it, trying to sell something that was difficult, that you never right wanted you to sleep say with the, the other word. Owner, right? so, but a nice compliment when someone came into my facility, they looked around and they said, "Wow, your brand is bigger than your company." Oh, so that I've, I've had people great. say that before. That too. is really because we not only market the company, we market ourselves and we service the community, the manufacturing community with the manufacturing camps, the quiz bowl in town, you know, lots of things that we do for the community. So in the old days when there was a phone book and you had your marketing in the phone book right. for what I do, the yellow pages. you know, yeah, it was all about Thomas name Register. recognition, yeah. right? Yeah. And that, and it still is. If somebody has a problem, they're going to come to me and I'm looking for name recognition because I don't have a product like these guys. I'm a job shop, but purely a service. And so name recognition, superior joining technologies, that's the that's what I've got to be out there doing now, every day. That phone book yellow pages reminds me, you know, we'd go into a recession and things would get slow and my dad would say, pick up the yellow pages and yes. start calling those people. You know, nowadays I recycle them right away. So that's right. I, that resonates with me totally. Yeah. yeah. And, and Craig, I know with you, I actually get your emails. I know you write a lot of content like Dimar was talking about. Is that a contributing factor in the whole sales and marketing process? Yeah, I love the idea of thought leadership or regurgitating data that you yeah. thought was interesting. I mean, R&D again. Like I said, R&D <laughs> again, right? But sharing that information makes you look like a thought leader. But yeah. exactly. one of the things I, I want to share, and I think that a lot of small businesses should share, if they, if they get a good thing going, 
get a video crew in there. Take a 30 second, 45 second video of what you are and what you do. I was fortunate enough to look at this one way and there's a small story and Jim, you kind of would remember this too, is many, many years ago, we were struggling to find employees, you know, just skilled or non-skilled or whatever. And we, were, we didn't have a name for ourselves and nobody knew who we were. So what we did is when we posted an ad, we had a little video on who we were. And so we created these series of videos and we did, we did three to five, 30 to 45 second videos every month for several years. And one of our friends, John Winsler, asked me the question. He goes, so Craig, this is great. He said, is this, are these videos here for attracting employees or attracting new business? And I said, yes, all of the above, all because them. that's what it was. We're, we're, again, a job shop, contract manufacturer, you know, machine shop, whatever you want to call it. The whole idea was have people, without leaving their desk or leaving their smartphone or whatever it is, find out who you were. And that was the most powerful movement for us in marketing. It was a little bit of work, right? You know, it was upfront awesome. work, yeah. Right. And then the other thing I was blessed with was that people go and put these video commercials together and say, this is who we are. And we were lucky because the guy who was our cinematographer, and I stumbled onto this, was his background was creating documentaries. And so the way he oh. positioned everything was he was trying to document who we were and what we did. Yeah, it wasn't salesy probably. No, it wasn't. Yeah. And so it was basically, we had somebody like sitting like this and they were videotaping an employee and they would ask a series of questions. And we asked over and over and over. And then he compiled it into these things, like just these one sentence. I mean, we probably did eight hours of video to get like a 30 second video. Right. But the amazing part is we got all this impactful information in 30 seconds, and that was enough to trigger someone to come in and visit us. And then they came in and they go, I feel like I met everybody already before. And I thought that was the coolest thing. And that's powerful. And then, you know, that really just is so much better than having that salesperson come in and try to explain your story right. and everything that you do. They can really see it right. exactly. on the video. And if you have a series of the library of these videos, and then when you have a conversation with, by phone or a follow-up or something like that, you send them one more video. Yeah. Send them another video. And, yeah. just, and you can repurpose it over and over. Exactly. You can put it on social. You can do an email campaign. And it's, it's a sales and marketing tool to help your business, but it's also a recruitment tool to recruit new talent, too. I you know I think, that better than me. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and I think between and the I two, believe I, I, I'm, I'm sold and I need to do that. So yeah. I, It's yeah. very yeah. impactful, exactly right. what Craig said. Yeah, absolutely. Any other thoughts on the sales and marketing side? Oh, come on. This is a big one. Part of what keeps you up at night for sure, right? <laughs> Making sure that pipeline is filled. Dmar doesn't have to worry about it. He's up to his eyeballs in that, so. yeah. <laughs> which is good. So what we like to do at the end of our show is we'd like you to think about something impactful that you've done that can help the metalworking nation sleep better at night. One of the pain points that we just discussed Think about something that you can leave the metalworking nation with today that can help them get an extra 15, 30 minutes of sleep tonight because they remembered what you said right now. <laughs> I know that's a big, broad yeah. question, but I'm very confident in your abilities to answer that. I, I, very. Think, I think one of the things to remember is your head's not a workspace. I try to keep my phone or a notepad or something near my bed so that when something's there, I can write it down. When I'm listening to your guys' podcasts, it's when I'm getting ready in the morning and I'm constantly, you know, oh, you know what, or I'm listening to Entree Leadership podcast, you know, or reading a book and then I'm taking notes. Your head's not a workspace and you got to get that crap out of there so you can sleep at night. 
That's so great. it's all about disposing it right then and there. Get it's, rid of it. Don't let but, it resonate. Yeah, but, Don't but, let it but build it's up. Usually stuff that I want to do or or makes me think, oh, that's something that's a great idea. But if it's here, right? You're gonna, you're gonna have trouble. So you believe by I'm writing, writing it, it down, down you're extracting it, it right and then and there. I can forget about it, and I can go back to oh, it. Oh, that's and a get great. That's great. So this is not a workspace. I don't want to work through the problems. Got here. it. I want to write them down. I, I can visualize that, Barry, and I'm all about the visual thing, yeah. How about you, DMR? DMR? Yeah, I think one thing that's really critical is how do you mitigate risk, all right? Because the mitigation, if you don't do that right, it sneaks up on you, and then all of a sudden you're in trouble. So to anticipate where the challenges are. We're an international company. We operate in a global marketplace, and so we have to think about, okay, well, what geopolitical events are taking place or shaping right now? How does that affect our business? How flexible and agile can we be? We can look at exchange rate risk. I mean, there's just a number of risks. Right. And the new ISO quality standard is heavily based on risk mitigation. Because if you can anticipate the problem and, and proactively deal with it, that'll put you in a much better position to get through that crisis point and excel moving forward. And that is great. And I recently read a study and they talked about what were the factors that leaders who led companies over a long period of time and were successful and that risk mitigation was right. I think the number one thing which you wouldn't you would think it was intelligence or education or maybe being a risk taker that would right. that would get those high returns but it wasn't it was it I was the I risk read, mitigation I think I read that too. Yeah, did yeah. you? Yeah, okay. But speaking of risk, I think that the thing that I would want to encourage everyone is to go for it. Right. Cuz I think sometimes just go, we what do you know mean just go for it. We know what the next thing is. I yeah. mean, I think we intuitively know so are you willing to put the money to it? Are you willing to put the time to it? Are you willing to step back and not be the leader of it? Are you willing to teach someone? If someone's coming to work for me personally, I'll give them everything I know because I want them to go to here. I work to get to here and I'm hoping the next person is gonna go to here and I'm gonna work with them. And so I think you have to go for it. I, you know, don't hold love back. Yeah, I love, and we talked about that on Monday about educating the next generation. And there's a lot of people that talk about this job problem and everything, but it's like, do something about it. Go for it. You know, you have to give yeah. away yeah. what you know. Yeah, you can't hide it and hold it back. Yeah, don't talk about it. Do it. It's not good <laughs> for your future. That's How about awesome. you, Craig? That's awesome. Well, like I said before, especially in our industry right now, it's really exciting, right? Yeah. Like you mentioned all this stuff about the technology, the lower cost of technology or equipment, hardware. And there's changes in our organization. And every few years, I think we're always reinventing who we are and what we do because we got to match up to our customer strategies. And so it's understanding not what the market is, understanding who your key customers are and where if your strategies align with their strategies is really important. And so as you evolve your job shop, machine shop, your organization, if you have the chance to do this, steal another one from Walt Disney. And Walt Disney, before they implemented a, a new ride or amusement ride inside their parks, they had three days, or actually four days, I'm sorry. For one day, they would actually present what the park ride is all about, and they would present it to a team. The next day, what they'll do is they'll come in and they spend a whole day with all these boards at the time, maybe chalkboards at the time, more whiteboards now, but they would write down all the reasons why they want to do this ride. And then they'd call it a day. The next day, they'll go up there and they'll say all the reasons why they don't want to do this ride. Have them all up there. Then the next day, they have a day of what they call reconciliation. 
And then they would say, should we do this? Now that we know this, but they gave it one night's rest. Okay. So don't make oh, quick decisions. Yeah, that's awesome. Get the key people in there. Right. Let it soak in. There's this soak period that is so important. And I think we make big decisions too fast sometimes. Right. And maybe yeah. not with a lot of people speaking. So get the key people in your organization. If your organization is small, get everybody in your organization. Yep. If your company is too, you know, too large to do that, take the key people from within the organization and go through that process yeah. and make those decisions. And it empowers your team too going forward. But most importantly, make sure it meets what the strategy of your main customers are too. Right? Yeah, if I could dovetail on that. Sure, yeah, uh, please. Because nature tells us a lot. If you look at geese, they always fly in a formation. Yeah. And the reason they do that is because they can draft off each other and then the geese trade their roles. The goose that's in the front moves to the back so you can rest a little bit. And you can pretty much get 70% further when you fly in a formation like that. So there's a lot to learn. Oh, that's good. There's a lot to learn from nature on that. So you can't do it all. And there's a part of me that wants to micromanage. Okay, I just... <laughs> that's what we want to do. Yeah, I'm a recovered micromanager say, too. Leave it alone, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> I got this. I got this. And there was another quote that I one time heard, and this is why training is critical. Somebody said, well, what happens if I train these guys and then somebody steals them away? Yeah. And then the next, yep. and then the guy responded by saying, what happens if I don't train them and they stay? Right. I said that one. You know, and, and I, I like what, you know, what Craig said. That has to do with a lot with the idea of all of us are smarter than one of us, right? right. You're making decisions. I was waiting for you to say that, Barry. You're making decisions. <laughs> making we decisions. had that written down. You want to be able to have, right, the best decision made. I have a, you know, I can have a, be the smartest guy in the room and have a great idea, but what I can't always see the whole entire thing. And the only way to make it sharper and to find the holes in it is to bring it in front of everybody else and let them, well, yeah, that's great. Chew but on if it. we did this, we could do this. And you're forgetting this because we forget things when we're coming up with ideas, yeah. right? We can be visionary. You have how many new ideas a day, right? I know. It's, it blows Jim's mind Jim's all the time. And Jim's like, shut up. <laughs> and my dad is out here too. Yeah, yeah. It makes everybody crazy. Yeah. So, that's for sure. Right. Yeah, this has been great. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. So anyway, Metalworking Nation, I hope that you have learned a little bit about from these awesome panelists. I've, I've learned. Today. I've got so many thoughts, Jim. I know. Well, I, I'm going to take berries because I like the thing about <laughs> writing it down, extracting at 3 a.m. I'm putting a notebook right next to my bed tonight. And as soon as those thoughts come in, I'm going to write it down and get it out of my I'm body. actually going to take Craig's idea about the video. I think I really need to do that. You I know? think you I do. I think about you it, do. talking about I it, think just you do, do it. And not overcomplicated, just do it. At the end of the day, like we always say at the end of our show, if you're not making ships, you're not making money. Bam. As always, thank you for listening to the Making Chips podcast. You need to increase the speed and feet of your business. If you're not elevating your manufacturing leadership, you're going to get left behind. The Metalworking Nation is committed to a new way to stay ahead of the competition. We have more content to help you make and elevate at makingchips.com. Gain access to exclusive content, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you. We'll see you next time.